All right, we're good. You're all right after that message this morning, right? We're all, we're all, we're all, we're all still, y'all came back. And uh, I tell you what, you act like I was really asking a difficult question there. I've covered a lot more difficult subjects than that. I just want to make sure you're all right. That was, that was heavy stuff this morning. And um, I'm not apologizing for it. I'm just, just wanted to be sure you're okay. And uh, your non-answer gave me that answer. So... Uh, Go to uh, John chapter number 8 this morning, if you would. John chapter number 8, and uh, go to verse number 12, and we're going to pick up where we left off. Now, last Sunday on the Facebook Live, uh, that's where I left off. I had gotten, finally finished after three or four weeks, uh, the story of the woman who had been taken in adultery and brought to Jesus in the temple. And uh, so I'm not going to give much review on that. And uh, the, the narrative changes today. Uh, Jesus has now, verse 12 through verse 22, uh, the Pharisees that were, had brought the woman, they have since gone. And the woman has now gone. So now we're back to Jesus speaking again to those who remain. Now remember, there was a, he was speaking before the temple crowd. Uh, The Pharisees had come, they brought the woman, and then all that event unfolded, of course. So in verse 12, Jesus returns to speaking again. And so this is what's happening in verse number 12. The Bible tells us, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whether I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whether I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. Go back to the expression that the Lord makes in verse 12. It is a very direct statement. It is a very important statement. It is a defining statement. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. We have here Jesus again speaking one of the, what's referred to as the many I am statements that he makes throughout the scripture. This word or this phrase, I am the light of the world, was most important not just because he said it, but also the environment in which he spoke it. Remember, this was all taking place during the Feast of Tabernacles. And during that feast, there was a ceremony in which brilliant lights were lit as a picture or a display of the remembrance of God's pillar in the wilderness. You recall in the Old Testament when God provided a pillar of fire that guided Israel through the wilderness. So as when Jesus makes this statement, it is during the time when this ceremony of brilliant lights was taking place. Now imagine Jesus makes the statement in the midst of all of these lights. He says, I am the light of the world. Those lights... Even the, every Israelite would have acknowledged it was God who guided them in that pillar of fire. There would have been no question. They all would have been in agreement. It was the pillar of fire that was literally by the directed hand of God. But now Jesus does the unthinkable, in their mind anyway. He now proclaims, I am the light. Not I am a light. He says, I am the light of the world. Singular, I am the only light. What is it about light that is so important? Light, even in its physical sense, is essential to being able to see. 
You realize even the human eye would not function properly without light entering into it. It relies on light. It's not just the fact that your eyes can't see in the dark. It literally is your eye, in order to function, has to have light to enter into it or it remains dark. Light is the opposite of darkness. Light is essential not only to sight, but scripturally, light is also essential to knowledge. In other words, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, notice at the end of that verse, he says, but shall have the light of life. So Jesus is speaking about something much more than just being able to see with the eyes and seeing these brilliant lights. He's saying that the, the whole key to spiritual life is knowing these two things, that in Christ, he is the light of the world and that that light indicates eternal life. Those who have Christ are described as being the light of God. Those who are without the light of Christ today are described as being in darkness. What is it to be dark or to have in the darkness of the things of God? It is to lack a knowledge of God. To walk in the dark is not just physical darkness. In the Bible, it is a reference to walking without the knowledge of God or being unaware of the things of God. Now, don't answer this out loud, but were the Pharisees walking in light or in darkness? They were walking in darkness, yet they were the ones who were believed to have the knowledge of God. When we talk about this expression or this light comparing to darkness, Jesus, in verse number 12, as he's speaking again, the religious leaders are waiting in the wings. And we don't, we're not sure where they came from. The Pharisees that are mentioned in verse 13, we're not sure if these were the ones that left prior to the woman who had been taken in adultery left, or these were other Pharisees. I tend to believe it was not the same ones, but they were Pharisees that had remained. But nevertheless, the Pharisees were always looking for something. They were looking for an opportunity to discredit Jesus. They were looking for a way to dispel what he was teaching, what he was proclaiming. They did not like the fact that he was claiming equality with the Father. So they were always ready to strike. However, you notice that the Bible, as it tells us here, as he was dealing with the people again, Jesus, as he often did, was teaching the people he was interrupted again by the Pharisees, and we can only think that this is darkness attempting to override the light. Here Jesus announces, I am the light of the world, and as he announces that light, he says, those that follow me will not walk in darkness. And at the very moment he uses those words, the darkness of the Pharisees comes onto the scene and asks this question or makes this statement. Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. What's the accusation? Jesus is being accused of being a liar. He's being told what you're saying is not true. So here we have darkness and death are one. Light and life are one. To be in the dark is to be walking in the path of death. To be in the light is to be walking in the light of the glory of God. Those of you today that believe on Christ and you trust in Christ alone have received him, it will be indicated by the fact that you follow Christ. Often people like to say, and they, they don't give this whole verse, they say, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And because I'm the light of the world, all that are in me, notice he says, he that followeth me shall have the light of life. It is fair to say that Jesus, the light of God, is shining brightly in the world today. There is, a, there is an awareness that there is a God. But because the light is in the world, does that mean that all people are in the light or are people still in darkness? It is the latter. There are still people who are in darkness. They are still in the wages of their sin, which is death. But this light, although we all enjoy the physical light, it doesn't compare to the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. To be in the dark is to be in error. To be in the dark is to be ignorant. The Pharisees were both of those things, but they were also taken back or taken in rather by their tradition. 
You know, we can be for tradition. We have traditions that we follow as even as a church. There are things we do that are not biblically mandated per se. Traditions can become sources of darkness. We can say this is something that God requires, and God doesn't require any such thing. The Pharisees were about their traditions, but they most importantly lacked the light of life. They had no life in them. Christ doesn't say, I'm one of the lights to choose from. He says, I am the light. Again, an amazing statement considering this feast and this ceremony that was going on. Verse 13, as he asked this question, he's asked this question by the Pharisees, Jesus answers them in verse 14 and says unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. Now, verse 13 and verse 14 have to be taken together because there is a, there is a, a conversation that's happening here and there is, uh, there is a law behind this. This is not just banter between the Pharisees and Jesus. Verse 13, where it says about the record bearing record of thyself, part of the law was, or part of any, any proceeding, was that a man could not speak as a witness of himself alone. In other words, I can't be the only witness. So if I was to say something is true to you today, you couldn't just take my word alone. There would have to be somebody else who would testify the same in order to establish that as truth. What Jesus is doing here is the Pharisees are saying, hey, the only thing you're doing is you're saying what you speak is true, but that's not what the law says must happen. There must be more than one. Jesus knew the law, and the law, the rule of law was that no person was to be believed on his own testimony alone. There had to be other witnesses. Now, it's interesting that they're trying to say Jesus or suggest Jesus doesn't know the law when back in John 5, verse number 31, Jesus had said this, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. In other words, even Jesus acknowledged, if I'm the only witness of who I am, don't believe me. So what's Jesus doing? Is Jesus caving to the Pharisees? Is he saying, listen, you've got me? Oh, on the contrary. What he's doing is he is getting ready to say by his words, it's not his testimony alone. He has other witnesses. He's got other things that prove that his testimony is true. Now, he acknowledges in verse number 14, he says, though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. He's acknowledging the law. I know what the law says, and I know the law requires more than one witness, but nevertheless, what I'm telling you is true. What is he telling them about himself? He's telling them his, his truth about his speaking of himself as the light. When he says, I am the light, he is speaking as truth. Now, reconnecting that with the pillar that of fire in the, with the, the Old Testament, he is acknowledging as the light, I am equal with that God who had the pillar. This is another statement of God, the I am statements of him saying, I am God. That's what the offense is here. That's what the, that's what the he's, he's, he's not just making an off-the-cuff statement saying, I'm the light of the world. Hey, look at those lights. I'm better than the light. He's saying, no, I am God. And again, this has been a recurring theme throughout this book because that's primarily what the book of John is about, is Jesus establishing his deity that man might believe on him. So he speaks about himself as the light. He's speaking in a term that he is equal with the Father. He's speaking as God. His record is true. If you knew God was speaking today, you would believe the record as being true. You would say, God said it. That settles it. I believe it. Jesus is claiming equality with God. Here Jesus is standing before them. Now don't lose sight of this. Jesus is standing before them in the likeness of of human flesh, okay? The incarnation has got so many implications to it. Jesus is stating, I am God, but he is standing in human flesh. If Jesus was standing, if we would have been seated in that temple, when Jesus was standing before them, you would have seen before you a man. 
He looked like any other man. He didn't walk with some kind of an aura around him. He didn't have a glow to him. He didn't stand out. As a matter of fact, not even everybody, if he was to walk through the streets, would even have noticed that that's Jesus. But yet, here's this man who looks to be nothing more than a man, a human standing before them. Telling them, I'm God. Okay, now there's, there's a lot of uh, blasphemous things that have happened over the years where people have played the character of God in movies and TV shows, and we've, we've heard those and seen those. And I'm not saying that to bring any kind of glory to it. I'm just simply telling you, sometimes that's the opinion that we, we tend to form. But here's the Lord standing in human flesh. And look what he says as he continues that thought in verse 14. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whether I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whether I go. What was Jesus saying? Very simply, he's saying this, I know where I came from, I know why I have come, and I know where I'm going. That's as simple as I can put it. He says, I know who I am. I know what's going to happen. He's speaking prophetically. He's speaking about those things which are going to come. Here, Jesus, as he's standing there, they thought Jesus was nothing more than the son of Joseph. Now, again, when the Pharisees looked at Jesus, they were aware of Joseph. They were aware of Mary. They knew that, they, that Jesus was, in quotes, their child. We know that he is the son of God. Mary was used by God in order to bring forth this human son that Mary is not the actual mother of Jesus in the purest sense. That's why we don't worship Mary in any way, shape, or form. But the Pharisees, that's what they view Jesus as. This is just the carpenter's son. And he's claiming equality with God. They thought him only to be this mere son, yet... They were ignorant of their own law. They were ignorant of their own prophets. Their own prophets had said to look for Jesus. Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of all of those prophecies, yet the Pharisees still do not claim him to be who he said he is. A little bit deeper as he says these statements, I know whence I came and whether I go. It's a bigger, it's a bigger thought here. I know where I've come from. Where did he come from? He came from the right hand of the Father. Jesus condescended to us. He knows where he came. He came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is not just speaking in terms of my location. He's speaking about his literally his eternal glory or his heavenly glory. I know I am God. And Jesus makes a stinging accusation against them in verse 15. He says, "Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. What's it mean to judge after the flesh? That's why I said the incarnation matters. He's judging. He's saying you are judging according to outward appearance. In other words, you are allowing my outward appearance to tell you that I am not God. I'm just a mere man. And by the way, folks, we are all prone to judge outward appearance. If someone says something is so, one of the determining factors, whether we believe it or not, is how does it look outwardly? Does that make sense to us? Can, does that outward appearance match up to what that person is saying? Jesus says, you only judge according to outward appearance. You are judging my claims according to your own flesh. Now, what is the judging after the flesh? What does that mean to judge after the flesh? Well, we know, again, it, it means to judge according to what you see and hear, humanly speaking. Jesus is saying, because I'm in this human flesh, you simply equate me as a mere man and you're labeling it impossible for me to be God. That's, that's what he's saying. You, you, you say it's impossible for me to be God. To judge after the flesh, the word judge literally means the ability to discern. Now, as we prayed, as we opened the service today, we were praying for discernment. Discernment is not just a, an ability to see it. 
Discernment is an ability to not only see it, but to decide what is true and what is right. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit giving us discernment, it's not just here's what's right. It's also the ability to decide, is this truth in which I'm seeing? Now, why do I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way? I have discerned that through the Holy Spirit of God, but part of discernment is also there is a decision to know that that is truth. So when I say Christ alone as our salvation, that's not just a statement of, I hope that to be the case. That is a statement of certainty. I don't believe that there is any other means of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Nothing. Not a single ounce of anything else adds to Christ alone. They're looking at Jesus as nothing more than what they see outwardly. Now, Put yourself again, and I don't like to do this often because I think it dramatizes us too much, but put yourself in the shoes of the Pharisees there. Here's this human being claiming to be God. Okay, it's like somebody coming off the street and saying, I am God. None of us are going to believe that without the light shining into their hearts, giving them discernment to decide that this is truth. See, we're very quick to say, how could the Pharisees have done this? Well, because they were walking in darkness. The light of Christ had not yet shone in their hearts. It was impossible for them to see this truth. But look what he says in verse 16. And yet, if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. Now, what they mean by judging, now think about this. When Jesus Christ came in this incarnation, he ultimately did not come to judge. Uh, that was not, he didn't bring judgment. Now, the next time Jesus comes, he is coming and he is bringing judgment. Judgment is coming. When we talk about the horrific things we've seen over the last few days, and we've preached about that and talked about that this morning already, and we see the wickedness of man on display on every hand, and we see mankind uh, playing the role of God or attempting to play the role of God by determining what life is worth sparing and that we can take a human life and, or even declare it not to even be life. Jesus, ultimately, yes, the judgment of that's not coming probably today or coming tomorrow. It may, but one day Jesus Christ and his judgment is coming and all of that wickedness will be put away for all of eternity. We're not going to have to worry someday about that level of depravity or the depravity of all of man because we will be without sin. We are so really unaware of just how much sin infiltrates every aspect of our life. We call light, light that isn't even light. We call darkness, light sometimes. We sometimes don't have the ability to actually see something for what it really is. Now again, because we see these truths today, it's not because we are intellectually smarter. If I see this truth today, it's not because of any uh, degrees or seminaries. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with this is Holy Spirit discernment to give us the ability to see these truths. Jesus is saying in verse number 16, my judgment is according to reality, to truth, something which is unchangeable. My judgment comes from Almighty God, for I am, we are one. This is one of Jesus' strongest claims of deity. He is again equating himself, I and the Father that sent me. He's saying we are one. I am God. Jesus is claiming to be God. He put himself in that position, and there's such a connection with God here, no other man could have made that statement. Now, when Paul makes the statement in verse in Philippians, I believe it's the second chapter, he makes the statement that according to with, with regard to Christ, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus Christ would not have apologized for claiming equality with God the Father. He would have said without any uncertainty in his voice, I and the Father are one. We are one in likeness. And Jesus again announces and makes a reference to the law. Verse 17, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. 
Now what Jesus is not doing, he's not appealing to the law to somehow vindicate himself or to make himself right. In other words, he's not saying, let me prove this to you. I want to take you to your law. He's using the law in its, cro- in its proper purpose. What is the purpose of the law? The law is a schoolmaster. It is to show us where we fail. The law condemns each one of us. So when I look to the law, I'm not vindicated ever. I'm condemned. He's using the law not to vindicate himself. He's using the law to condemn them. Condemn them of what? Well, they're, they're rejecting him. They are denying his claims. He acknowledges written in your law because what, he's, what he is saying is that the law you Pharisees claim to believe and you are holding me to accepts the testimony of two men as being true. Now this is fascinating what Jesus is doing. He is at the very least saying, you have two witnesses, me and my father. Okay? So he's saying, if anything, I am following your law to a T. Now here's the problem. The Pharisees, number one, don't believe he's God. But the law you claim, I've already proved that. I have proved witness of myself, the heavenly father, even when you think about Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, when he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God the father acknowledged that Jesus himself was his son. So Christ himself is a witness. The heavenly father bore witness. John the Baptist was a witness, right? John was, was, was verifying and confirming that he was, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The works that Jesus did proved he was who he said he was. His baptism, all of these things, the miracles he did, they proved he was indeed sent of God. Christ has more than the witness of himself. In other words, Remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to discredit or do away with it. He's even following the law. The law, although it proves him to be true, it was used as a means of condemning them. They were trying to use again to trap him. You only have one witness. He says, no, no, no. I have me. I have my father. I have John the Baptist. I have the miracles. I have all of these things confirm that I am who indeed I say I am. Verse 18, I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Jesus does all that he needs to do at this point to prove I am indeed God. Now, verse 19 tells us that the Pharisees are still in dark. Because look what they say. Here's the light of the world. Jesus is standing before them. And again, I'm saying all this because I'm bringing us to a thought. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that doesn't mean the whole world is in the light or will be in the light. That would be what is referred to as universal salvation, which I mention that a lot here, and I do that intentionally, because there are people who believe that ultimately at the end of it all, everyone's going to be in heaven. We're all going to be saved. God would never, we've heard this, God would never send anyone to hell. If, as we study our Bibles, we studied this morning about absolute sovereignty and election. We know all about that, right? We all know now. We're all settled in that. But here's the reality. These Pharisees are still in darkness. Their question indicates that they still are not in the light of Christ. Then said they unto him, where is thy father? Now, this is not them asking, where is Almighty God who is seated upon the throne of heaven? Who are they asking for? They're asking for Joseph. Where's your father? Where is he? Jesus answered, ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, you should have known my father also. It's also kind of a disparaging remark. They don't say, where is Joseph, but they're asking Jesus, now prove to us that you know where the Father is. If you are, in fact, God, and you are, in fact, God's Son, where is He? Now remember, they only acknowledged the only Father Jesus had was Joseph the carpenter. 
Nobody would have disputed that. If someone would have come in and said, and, and said do, do everybody in this temple, do you all believe that Joseph is Jesus' father? The whole crowd would have said, well, yeah, we all know about that. We know about Mary. But where is your father? Jesus makes a stinging rebuke of them by telling them, you neither know me. Now, don't miss that. He doesn't acknowledge the father first. They say, where is thy father? Jesus' response is, ye neither know me. To not know Christ is to be in the dark. Today, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, you are walking in darkness. You are on the path of what the Bible declares as the wages of sin is death. You say, but I'm sitting in church today. I know the light. I've heard about Jesus. I just heard Jesus' announcement. I'm the light of the world. So doesn't that include me? If you will not acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation and repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are still walking in darkness. These Pharisees, to a man, had no knowledge of the reality of who Christ is. These religious men who from day after day after day taught in the temple were considered to be the religious leaders and authorities of the day. Jesus says and the most stinging thing he can say, you don't even know God. How can a religious leader teach about someone he doesn't know? He can't. You say, preacher, does that happen today? It happens every Sunday. There are people teaching churches who do not know Jesus Christ. They don't know God. You say, but they hold a Bible. They sing religious songs. They speak about Jesus. They speak about all. They even do baptisms. None of those things are any proof that you know God. Now, they should be outward manifestations of the knowledge of Christ. In other words, in order for you to even sing a single hymn out of those hymn books, whether we know the song well or not, those can only really truly be sung by a person who knows Christ. Because everybody else, those are just words on a page. What do you mean, my ransom for what? Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. What do you mean? What does that mean? Why do I need a ransom? Why do I need the love of God? Why do I need these things? The Pharisees, religious experts, yet Jesus says the most stinging thing he could say, you don't know me. The worst news I could give any person today is that you don't know Christ. The saddest statement that could be made to anyone is that you do not know Christ. I hope we never lose our burden for the understanding that, listen, even though we believe in election, we believe in the sovereignty of God, if that somehow hinders your burden for people, you don't understand the gospel. It ought to increase your burden. It ought to make you more desired to, to, to tell people and to preach the truth. You neither know me nor my father. Now he's not only said, you don't know me as God, you don't even know my Father as God. If ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. For those that are in Christ today, it is a settled matter. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You say, well, preacher, I believe in everything but the Trinity. You're in great danger. Because the Trinity is all, part of, is all part of salvation. The Trinity is God. The Holy Spirit is as much God as Jesus the Son is God, as God the Father is. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of a mystical force that moves around and does whatever He wants to do, glorifying Himself. The Holy Spirit has one purpose and one purpose only. It is to glorify the Son. And if your religious activity doesn't glorify Christ, then it is not of God. Again, Jesus is speaking to religious leaders. You say, preacher, what is the stretch here? The stretch is, is that we have so many who claim to be authority in the Word of God, yet I think Jesus would say the same thing to them. You don't know me and you don't know my Father, because if you knew me, you'd know the Father, and you wouldn't believe what you believe. It's really quite directed at what he's saying. Jesus reveals their ignorance of these religious men. 
The ignorance of Christ revealed both their ignorance of the Father, but more importantly, and this would have been the stinging thing, you don't even know the Scriptures which you claim to be an expert in. They thought they knew who his father was, was Joseph. They thought they knew about Christ. Matter of fact, many of them were probably still looking for their Messiah, but they just thought this Jesus was nothing more than a carpenter's son. Friends, I'm going to tell you something this morning. There is much more to Christ than what your eyes, physical eyes can see. Seeing Christ is not about seeing him in human flesh. Seeing Christ is not even seeing him with your human eyes seated at the right hand of the Father. These are eyes, we see Christ through eyes of faith. Faith is the gift of God. Faith being given as a gift of God is the light being given to you. Today, if you're saved, you are saved because the light of Jesus Christ has shined in your heart. When Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees, these Pharisees knew that their understanding was limited to a natural understanding. You can have a natural humanistic understanding of Christ today. You can know about Him. You can have heard of Him. You can even study about Him. That doesn't mean that you're in the light. There's a big difference between simply knowing Christ and being in Christ. These Pharisees, if they had known Christ and knew Him for who He really was, I love what Hebrews 1.3 says. Christ, about Christ, the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. When you see Christ through eyes of faith, you see God. If you see Christ today as nothing more than the carpenter's son or the miraculous baby born to Mary, you're still in darkness. The conversation goes on, and it gives us a little bit of background. Now again, it, it mentions that Jesus spoke again unto them, and it mentions a temple, but it also mentions about the treasury. It said, these words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. This treasury was the place where there were 13 Uh, We'll call them chests. They could have been boxes, but there were 13 of these boxes. And those boxes were there to place offerings and contributions into. It was a place that was very public. Everybody had access to it. You remember the story about Jesus and the widow's mites. And uh, we know that story about the disciples asking who's given more. The one, the Pharisee who dumped in uh, and, and, and jangled and made noise. Or the woman who gave all that she had, but it was a very small amount. And we, we know that story. But they would put these gifts in these boxes. The Pharisees, and again, it's one of those pieces of information. They, it, it, we're not really told why it's there. It says he's in the treasury as he taught in the temple. It doesn't say what the significance is, but I believe when you study the word of God, nothing's there just to make thoughts work. What the significance is, I'm going to tell you my greatest theological answer. I'm not sure. I'm, being told, I'm not sure why it mentioned that this was in the treasury, other than the fact, and all I can come to the conclusion of, is that the Pharisees were very big on their contributions and how much they gave. I don't know what was happening. I don't know why, but I do know that here's what the important thing that's mentioned. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. The only conclusion I can come to is a very public place, and the Pharisees were so angered by what Jesus is saying that they actually were so mad that they want to take him publicly right now. But I love what the Bible said. Why didn't those Pharisees lay hands on him? The Bible gives us the answer, for his hour was not yet come. Can I tell you this morning, they couldn't touch him. If they'd have tried to take him, they couldn't have got him. No matter what they did, no matter how incensed the Pharisees were by being confronted with the light of the truth, he could not be taken. Why? Because his hour was not yet come. That preordained time when Jesus would give himself over voluntarily, willfully be taken, willfully be scourged, willfully be false tried, willfully be put on a cross, and give up the ghost 
and take on the full wrath of God the Father. It couldn't happen a millisecond before the time appointed. These Pharisees had no power to work their evil against him until God permitted them to do so. Even the death of Christ was appointed and ordained as to when, how, who, and what the purpose was. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, we're not God. That's the profound statement of the day, right? We're not God. But we ought to also understand something about being part of the light, being in Christ. And folks, I know this is difficult to say, and it's easier to say when we're in the comfort of a place like this. But there are some of you today that are battling so hard with what Satan's trying to place in your mind. The devil is working overtime through his demons, trying to convince you of things that are not true. And it's gotten you to the place where you think you're at the very edge of defeat. Can I tell you that the enemy cannot touch you? The devil cannot harm you. He cannot do anything unless God permits him to do it. Now, we sit here today and we can say, boy, that devil, he is, he is powerful, and he is. You try to take on the devil in yourself, you're going to lose every single time. But knowing that you're in Christ and knowing that God himself has ordained the very means and the very boundaries of your entire life, Again, this is more proof. You better be thankful for absolute sovereignty of God. I'm glad to know my life is in the hands of a sovereign God, not left to random chance. I sleep much better at night knowing that my life is in God's hands than the random chance that I might get hit by a bus. I'd much rather know that there's a God Almighty who has my soul for all of eternity, who no man can separate me from his hand, I'd much rather take comfort in knowing that. They couldn't take our Lord until the permitted time. It really benefits us as children of God today, even when we don't understand the will of God, to trust that there's a sovereign hand behind it. You might come to me someday and say, Preacher, why is this happening in my life? And again, I'll give you the great Bible answer. I don't know. It's amazing how many people I've talked to over the years who say, why is this happening? And I tell them the truth, I don't know. And they say, why, why don't you know? Because there are things that have been left to our, we don't have full understanding. And by the way, there are some things if you wanted the answer to, if you knew the answer to it, you'd despise it even more. People have often said this, I want to know why I'm sick. Well, if you knew why you were sick, you probably would despise it more. I want to know why this is happening to me. If you knew why... Because human reasoning wouldn't make sense to you. If you tried to figure out humanly why this is happening, it will make no human sense to you. <laughs> it's fair to say all of you are thinking about something right now that says, listen, I, I am going through something right now or have gone through something. I still to this day don't know what the purpose is. We'll join the club. We've got handfuls of things in our life. We're still saying, what? What, what is that about? Why? And we get into this little box where we start to say, listen, look at all I'm doing for you, Lord. Why, why, why? And then I remember everything I do for the Lord doesn't add anything that I'm even in the Lord is all because of his grace and mercy anyway. So even when I try to claim my goodness, I get reminded that I'm not so good, but God is good. God's grandness is much beyond anything we could even offer. Even on our very best day, it's not enough for God to be worthy or us to be worthy for God to give us anything. But Jesus, as he says in verse 21, then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, ye cannot come. What a terrible sentence that is. Where I'm going, you can't go. Jesus says, I go my way. Christ knew his coming death was coming. He knew his resurrection was on the horizon. He knew his return, his ascension back to the heavenly father. But he says to die in your sins. What is it to die in your sins? Pure, unadulterated gospel is this. To die in your sins is to die in unrepentance and die in unbelief. To die in your sins is to die in unrepentance and in unbelief. What keeps a man or a woman from Christ is a lack of repentance and a lack of belief. What is the call today? The call is to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only thing that excludes a person from the presence of Christ from all of eternity 
is unbelief. What's Jesus telling these Pharisees? You don't believe. You religious experts will die in your sins because you will not believe. Whether I go, you cannot come. Folks, let me just stop here for a minute. If Jesus had declared no light, no grace, no mercy, do you realize these words would have been spoken to all of us today? Whether, where I'm going, you can't come. Jesus didn't say that to you though, did he? Jesus didn't say, hey, you can't come where I'm going. No, he's actually given us an invitation that we know is actually certain and sure. I know when I draw my last breath, don't worry for me about whether I made it or not. I am already certain of the realities of that. I already know that Jesus has already said, come to where I am, come unto me. And you ought to be 100% certain about that today. You ought to know that if you drew your last breath this afternoon, you know that you would be with Christ. What a glorious grace it is that Jesus actually said, where I'm going, you can come. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Don't focus on the mansion. Focus on the invitation. Focus on the certainty. Focus on the reality that Jesus is saying, you can come where I am. These Pharisees who refuse to believe and repent, he says, you can't come. People often say, if you believe in the doctrines of grace and all those things, what do you preach? Repent and believe the gospel. How do you know who to preach it to? How do you know they're one of God's elect? You're never told to even guess. You know one thing that never crossed my mind? the day I repented and believed in Christ, you know what thought never came to my mind? I never said, am I one of the elect? Never mattered. But so how do you know? Because I repented and I believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether I'm elect or not is not the question. The question is, do you believe in Christ alone? These words, these phrases... They've scared churchgoers for years. And sadly, many a preacher has decided I can't preach on these great truths anymore because it's just going to scare people away. I'd be too frightened not to preach it. I told you this morning, when I came to face to face with the reality of what I had been preaching, what I had been teaching, and realized I had it wrong, you couldn't pay me to go back. You say, preacher, what if some big church called wanted to offer you six figures, but you got to preach a man-centered gospel? Would you go? No. I could never in my right conscience ever preach a man-centered gospel again. And remember, you know what man-centered gospel is, right? Man-centered gospel we talked about this morning. Believing that God has to answer to you. No, we answer to God. The minute I believe God has to give me an answer on anything... I know I'm in the wrong. Now this interesting, this statement, again, and I'm, I'm finishing here. Then said the Jews, verse 22, will he kill himself? Because he saith, whether I go, you cannot come. Now, this, would not, this was not significant unless you realize what Jesus had said before. In John 7, verses 34 through 35, here's what Jesus said. Ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. This is not the first time Jesus has used these words. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go into the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? Those are just interesting. That, all this phrase was also prefaced by a statement in verse 30 of John 7, which said this, Because his hour was not yet come. The Pharisees had heard Jesus say, where I'm going, you cannot come. He had told them once before that where he was going, he was, they thought, where's he going to go? Went to the Gentiles? Is he going back to the Jews? What's he talking about here? Yet, as they guessed earlier, he would go back to the Jews. Now their question is, what's he going to do? Kill himself? This is a, this is a mockery. They're asking this question in John 8. Verse 22, not as a desire to know, but as a mocking of him. 
hey, the last time Jesus told us this, we asked if he was going among the Gentiles or the Jews. Now they're asking, what's he going to do, kill himself? Is that why he's leaving? When Jesus made the statement, he says it again, whether I go, ye cannot come, twice in two verses. He's announcing to them that your wicked nature that comes from the very deepest recesses of who you are is evil. It's where sin dwells. When Christ affirmed by saying, I'm the light of the world, he announced, I'm absolutely God. When he had made that announcement, he made it without apology. The Bible refers to believers as we are told to be the light in the world. But Christ himself is the light. But what does he mean, I am the light of the world? Does it mean that Christ is the light of every person, of every man and woman? If that's the case, then everybody on this planet right now and everyone who's died before us has gone on to be with Christ. And we know that cannot be true. The key to what that verse we started off is, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Universalists who believe in universal salvation claim verse 12 as their verse. It's out of context, right? Because it doesn't say I'm the light of the world to everybody. I'm the light of the world to those that follow me. Now, this is not a discussion this morning about whether or not we believe in lordship salvation. This is for another day or what that means. Some of you don't even know what that means, and that's okay. But it's the one who follows Christ has the light of life. The one that does not follow remains in darkness. The light which has lit every man that comes into the world makes every man responsible. People often say this, how can God be sovereign and man be responsible? That is the epitome of the truth. God is absolutely sovereign, but every man is held responsible for what he does with truth. You know, believe it or not, even the most wicked person who we deem to be wicked has morals. There are some things they just won't do. Now, we might, we find fault with that, right? How can you have morality and commit that crime? Every man has morality. They have morals. Where do, that, where do those morals come from? It doesn't come from man himself because man himself is depraved. That means the light of Christ has shined into every single person. If you have any morals at all, it's because they're God-given morals. But does having morals make you a Christian or a believer? No. It's only as you walk in the light of Christ. As you know Christ. Christ is the light of the world. Spurgeon said, if Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. Let's stand all around if we would and let's turn.